today on Ag News Daily. This is a crisis right now. We lost about 700 family dairy farms in Wisconsin last year. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It is Mike Pearson here flying solo for this Thursday edition of the Ag News Daily Podcast. Thanks for tuning in and downloading us. We always appreciate it. Be sure, if you can, to log into iTunes there and give us a rating. We like the five stars. We'll we'll take any stars. It all helps. Anything you think about the program is beneficial for us, which we love. Oh, Speaking of beneficial for us, sort of. Uh, We had a very interesting report come out this morning. Hog exports. Holy buckets. Pork exports were up uh, four times higher than they were just a month ago. And the big story was that China stepped in and bought 77,700 metric tons of American pork. That is a huge number. And just to kind of put things in perspective... So far this year, the U.S. has shipped 46,400 tons of pork to China versus 15,000 the year before. And China has orders, including today's, for another 96,500 metric tons. Last year at this time, they had orders ahead for 4,900. So we are seeing huge, truly exponential growth in pork exports heading into China. Now, the good news there for pork producers is that we've got a huge demand source, it looks like. African swine fever is apparently decimating the Chinese herd. Uh, Pork prices in China are up 5% over the past month, and the Chinese government's going to do what they can to keep those prices in check for their consumers. Bad news, it's going to be tough, tougher to get more soybeans into China when their main consumer of those soybeans, their massive 700 million head hog herd, is uh, dropping like flies. So it's a, it's a win some, lose some, but it's just fascinating to me just to see that kind of a print this morning in exports seem to catch a lot of folks, at least that I interact with, by surprise. I don't think people were anticipating a number quite this big, and we'll have to see where, where they come in next week. If this is going to be their new pace or if they just got a little concerned watching the market rally here over the past couple weeks and thought they better step in now and and get some bought i don't know but we will certainly keep an eye on it so that's story one that's one of the reports that came out today exports we had another report come out today our corn and soybean and wheat producers know this one we had the april wasdy report kind of a snooze fest not a whole lot of excitement going on in the WASD today. It was generally perceived as bearish. We saw the corn, U.S. corn carryout um, jump by about 200 million metric tons. We saw the domestic corn carryout jump by about 200 million bushels. Uh, the trade was expecting about a hundred and a half million bushel increase, so we definitely overshot the pre-report estimate. Eh, bearish. Uh, soybeans, we came in real close to the trade estimate. Um, the March WASD had us at 900 million bushels, and we came in this month at 895. So a little bit of a decrease. The trade was expecting 898. Not a huge mover there. On the wheat front, again, we saw the carryout grow slightly. 
uh, we went from 1.055 billion bushels to 1.087, so a little 32 million bushels. Uh, that was the news there. Definitely had an impact on the markets. Uh, grains were down pretty well, except for wheat. Um, and livestock, as expected, was stronger, not as strong as I was anticipating, but we did pull back on some of the deferred months from the highs a little bit. We'll get into that in just a little bit. So that's two of the news stories. You know, flying solo, doing this uh, podcasting gig can be a lot of fun because it's it's my plane. I can take it wherever I want, but I kind of miss having Delaney to banter around with a little bit, so... Bear with me, folks. We'll get through the news. We've got some good conversation coming um, later on with our interview, talking about some potential lifelines for the dairy industry. But before we get into that, there was another big hog-related story that came out yesterday, and that is that the World Pork Expo for 2019 has been canceled due to fears of African swine fever. To give us a little more detail on why this decision was made, our very own Bruce Gorder had a conversation. Now let's just tune in with Bruce and hear what all he learned. One of the biggest and best agriculture events in the country is the World Pork Expo held each summer at the Iowa State Fairgrounds in Des Moines. Unfortunately, this year's event has been canceled. I talked to Jim Monroe. He's the communications director for the National Pork Producers Council, and he has the details. It's a disappointing announcement to have to make, but uh, we think it's the right decision. African swine fever, as you may know, is currently spreading in China. China is home to the world's largest swine herd, and because it's uh, positive for African swine fever, that just raises the risk globally for a spread of the of the disease. Um, it's a disease that affects only pigs. There's no food safety or human health risk, uh, but it would be devastating to U.S. pork producers if it were to spread to the United States. It would immediately close our export markets at a time when we're already facing serious trade headwinds. And so we, out of out of extreme caution, because we do think the, the risk of a spread from World Port, holding World Pork Expo is extremely low, we decided to exercise extreme caution and and cancel this year's event yeah world pork expo is the name of the event and uh, that means people from all over the world are coming in and and uh, that's that's one of the reasons i'm sure that led to this decision and it, it was not taken lightly i'm sure absolutely it was uh it was a, it was a decision our board of directors made we're a producer-led organization and um, you know, we've, we've gotten a lot of input from producers from around the country. Um, as you noted, World Pork Expo, you know, it, 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 it's a gathering. It's an international gathering. We have uh, 20,000 folks um, come through the event over three days. Many of them are from um, overseas locations, including, you know, about 40 different countries, including some regions that are positive for African swine fever. Um, and, you know, again, we think the risk of it, um, being spread here through people traveling from those locations. And we have a lot of biosecurity protocols at our borders as well as at the event. We think it's very low, but we can't say it's zero, so we decided to exercise extreme caution. Yeah, one case, as you mentioned, uh, would be devastating to the industry. Understand also uh, that uh, in Washington, D.C., you've got your producers in town, and I'm sure they're going to be talking to Congress uh, about the African swine fever problem. Yes, uh, that, that's on top of the list. Um, animal disease prevention and preparedness overall is a topic they'll, they'll be discussing. Um, you know, 
USDA and Customs and Border Protection have taken some very strong steps to tighten biosecurity at our borders. Um, one of the things we think we, we should do to further strengthen that is add more agricultural inspectors to Customs and Border Protection. So we're asking Congress to appropriate funding for 600 more ag inspectors. Um, and uh, that'll be one of the topics they discuss. And that's, you know, to keep out African swine fever and all foreign animal diseases. What are you telling your producers, Jim, about uh, due diligence on their own uh, hog farms? Uh, you know, they're obviously to be very um, cognizant of people visiting their farms, where those people have been, have they been to um, uh, regions of the world that are positive for African swine fever, are they having good discussions with their feed suppliers and where's their feed coming from and uh, those things. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm happy to say, um, you know, we have a very strong um, biosecurity track record and, and, and good knowledge within our industry. And um, I think folks are, are largely aware of that, but we're doing everything we can just to, to keep up the drumbeat on those protocols. This is a big hit for the pork industry and a big economic hit for the city of Des Moines. But in the interest of animal health and safety, it's the right call. I'm Bruce Gorder for Ag News Daily. Well, thank you, Bruce. And I tell you what, it's one of those things where yeah, I, I go almost every year. I know Delaney was excited about going. The World Pork Expo is a fun event. There's you know, chocolate-covered bacon everywhere. It's insane. Um, but... Yeah, I, you can't fault their decision-making process in this. It is the World Pork Expo. People coming from all around the globe to Iowa to talk hogs. And boy, if one morsel of African swine fever were to make its way into the country through the World Pork Expo, that would be absolutely devastating. So prudence is the better part of valor, right? No, discretion is the better part of valor. Well, whatever. I think they're being rather smart in taking care of this in the way they're doing. Got a story here coming out of Europe for all of our listeners who are not American. Um, guess what? You can buy crop insurance now. You can. It is a policy. There's several policies. They, they underwrite a ton of different specialty crops as well as some of the all, all the major grains. Uh, these are all underwritten by Lloyd's of London, one of their syndicates, Ascot. And uh, this was rolled out about four weeks ago, and there's been very slow uptake so far. But basically, thanks to the computing speed that we have in the world today, these computers are, they believe, now able to calculate risks accurately enough that you can purchase crop insurance for your crops in almost every country. Um, it all comes down to can they get good data out of that country? So they're not in quite everyone, but they're in quite a few. And um, it appears to be basically the same as a as, as a commercial policy. There is no subsidy like we see in, in U.S. crop insurance, but um, definitely something to look into. American growers, are you looking at expanding overseas? Well, now you got a product to manage some of that risk. Maybe this will help the banker sign off on, a, you know, a land purchase in the Czech Republic or something. Now, now's the time to do it. You can insure that crop. I thought that was I thought that was fascinating. We'll keep an eye on that. Ideally, we will get somebody from the new platform on the podcast to talk about it because it, it's just interesting to see these things be developed. Um, 
but uh, haven't heard from them yet. The company that's rolled this out is called Stable, and a very accurate name for an insurance company. Finally, we had one other piece of news coming out of D.C. today, and that was that members of the Senate Commerce, Science, and Transportation Committee, uh, excuse me, this came out yesterday, were listening to the president of the Mississippi Farm Bureau and a bunch of others talking about maps that the FCC had put out showing broadband coverage in rural America. Apparently, the FCC put out a map and claimed late last year that approximately 100% of the American public lives in geographic areas covered by mobile LTE with minimum advertised speed of 5 megabits or 1 megabit. I don't know what that means. Basically, you got you know a bare minimum of speed. And then, so FCC put that out. USDA came out right around the same time with a survey that showed 29% of U.S. farms have no internet access, and 30% of rural America overall lacks broadband access compared to 2% of urban America. So clearly we've got two studies at loggerheads with one another, I'm probably more inclined to agree with the USDA. I have terrible internet speeds here at my farm, and I'm very close to town. I know people out actually in the country deal with it sometimes a lot worse than I do. So, a bunch of farmers, rural residents, went before Congress today to say, hey, look, the FCC's making some mistakes. We've got to make some investments in rural broadband. We've talked about that a lot. We've heard Secretary Sonny Perdue talk about it a lot. The focus came back to it again today, and the senators were all of agreement that we've got to have accurate mapping if we're going to be able to roll out these investments in broadband in an effective way. Um, Of course, it was a congressional hearing, so literally nothing was accomplished, but it is good news that Voices were heard. It does sound like from a Chris Clayton's piece over at DTN that the senators were very willing to agree with the growers, uh, either because they had personal experiences with rural Internet or probably just because they've heard from their constituents that uh, sometimes it can be really bad. So maybe we're making some progress. Maybe sooner or later, I'll be able to watch YouTube clips on my home Wi-Fi, not have to use my mobile phone, but. We'll see. We'll see. It might be might be dreaming a little too big there. Oh, boy. Well, I tell you what, folks, why don't we go ahead and jump into today's interview? But before we do that, I want to read us the markets. And the markets are brought to us by our great friends at the Zaner Group. Remember, you can reach out to them anytime. Get their help managing your marketing risk. Give them a shout at 312-277-0050 or visit them on the web at zaner.com and tell them you heard it on Ag News Daily. As I mentioned, red on the screen in the grains. May corn down one and three quarters at 360 even. The December contract down two and a quarter to close at 388 and a half. In soybeans, the May contract down six and three quarter cents. Finished the day at 895 and a quarter. November new crop down six and a quarter. Finished at 928 and a quarter. In Chicago wheat, the lone sprout of green. The May contract up two and a half cents at 460 and a half. With July up four cents. To close the day at 465 and a half. Jumping over to the world of livestock, as I mentioned, it is the mirror image of the grains. It is green on the screen here in the livestock markets. April live cattle up 12 and a half cents at 126 even, with the June contract up 47.50, wrapping the day at 120.42 and a half. 
in feeder cattle, the April contract up 25 cents at 145.4250, with the May up 62.5, closing at 149.85. And lean hogs, as I mentioned, pulled back substantially from their earlier highs, but still closed in the green today, with the April up 32.5 cents at 79.2250, and the May up a dollar 42.5 to finish at 88. 40. Now, we cannot forget about our friends in the dairy industry, especially today. And it's not great news. In the dairy market, the April Class 3 milk contract was down 9 cents at 15.88, and the May was down 17 at 15.75. Now, speaking of dairy, we're going to learn about a group called Dairy Together right now. Well, we've definitely had quite a few discussions about the dairy industry, and we're talking to Bobby Wilson, who is the Government Relations Associate for the Wisconsin Farmers Union, talking about this new group and this new organization called Dairy Together. Bobby, will you give us kind of the 10,000-foot view of what Dairy Together is and how you guys work with folks in the dairy industry right now? Sure. So Dairy Together is a grassroots movement to rebuild a viable dairy economy for family farmers and rural communities. So that is our big picture vision of what we're trying to do with this campaign. In practice, it is a group of farmers that get together to talk about long-term structural changes to the dairy economy, uh, mostly focused on the issue of low prices. So we recognize that prices for dairy farmers have been below cost of production for the last five years. Um, this is a crisis right now. We lost about 700 family dairy farms in Wisconsin last year, uh, but it's not a new crisis. It's something that has popped up periodically um, since the 80s and even before that. Um, so we're recognizing that this is going to keep happening. Uh, we're going to continue losing dairy farmers, and we need to change our federal policies so that we no longer accept this as just the norm. Bobby, is Dairy Together just an association of Wisconsin dairy producers, or is it nationwide? This is growing into a nationwide movement. So it started here in Wisconsin back in 2018, um, but it has since grown to include farmers from California, from uh, Vermont, from uh, Pennsylvania, Indiana. We have farmers that are all across the country uh, that have joined this movement, and it's, it's not just Wisconsin because the policies that we're pushing would affect dairy farmers across the country. It's not just a Wisconsin issue. Yeah, and Bobby, you mentioned that you guys are looking at changing policy or changing some of the legislation revolving around the dairy industry. Tell us about some of those pushes that you're trying to make happen for the dairy industry. Sure. So our big push, our big policy focus is supply management. So the problem that we're seeing with low prices is caused by a glut of milk on the market. We're losing farms, but we're still producing just as much milk because those cows are being shifted onto larger and larger farms. And it's, when a farm goes out of business, it's not doing anything to, um, to balance out this oversupply. So we have this perpetual issue um, that we need to address, and, and that issue is overproduction. So we are looking at ways to balance uh, milk production with profitable demand, and to do that, we need to have a federal policy change. Now, Bobby, if you could explain to us exactly, or in theory, what the supply management program would look like. We've had uh, Canadian dairy producers on to kind of walk us through the Canadian program. Is it modeled after theirs? 
Sure. So there are a number of options for supply management. And we, the whole Dairy Together movement actually started in 2018 because we invited Canadian dairy farmers to come down to Wisconsin to talk to our members about their quota system and how it works. And it piqued a lot of interest um, among our, our members and farmers who attended those meetings um, in looking into a quota system. But we also heard that uh, Canada's quota system is not very popular among among some farmers, um, and we we heard that it's it's not politically feasible. Uh, members of Congress don't really have an interest in pushing for that type of a system. So we really wanted to look into what are the other options for supply management that maybe aren't quota, uh, and that are perhaps better suited to the United States. So right now, that's that's where we stand. There are a number of different options, and we've actually commissioned an economic analysis on a couple of options that we think have some merit. Um, so just to explain, one of them uh, is called the Dairy Price Stabilization Plan. This is an idea that uh, is not new. It was actually introduced in Congress in 2010 and passed the House, but um, did not uh, pass uh, fully to be implemented with the Farm Bill. Um, but we decided that we wanted to take a look at that plan and specifically what milk prices would have been if that plan had been in place uh, since the 2014 Farm Bill. And what we found is that we would not have lost all the dairy farmers that we lost, uh, or all the dairy farms, excuse me, that we lost over the last four or five years. Prices would be significantly higher. Net farm operating income would be significantly higher. We would have saved the government money. Um, and uh, and we would have a more stable dairy economy right now. When you say significant improvement in prices, I mean, usually we're sitting around $15, $16 here. What would we have seen if we would have had a plan in place like that since the 2014 Farm Bill? We would have seen an all-milk price of more like uh, $18 to $19. But the way that the program works is that um, it assesses a, a reasonable rate of milk production growth each year. So uh, the USDA would set a limit for how much any farm can expand, something like, you know, 3%. And then if a farm wants to expand beyond that, they have to pay a market access fee. And that market access fee is distributed to all of the farms that don't expand. So recipients of that market access fee would have an additional $1.50 to $2 added onto their milk checks uh, in addition to that higher price of more like $18 to $19. So that would be a significant improvement uh, for farms that are uh, steady, you know, sitting at 300 cows, for example, um, that would be a significant improvement for them. Absolutely. Now, it'd be a significant improvement to them, but I imagine you get this question quite a bit when you're talking policy on the federal level, raising the price of a good like dairy, which so many people need, of course, across all income levels, um, probably isn't going to be very politically popular. What have you found when you've brought this up with legislators, especially those not from rural areas? Yeah, so that's a, a really good question. What we've heard is that in order for something like this to pass, we need to demonstrate that it is popular among dairy farmers, and we are seeing growing support for a new system. Um, even the large farms recognize that it's it's not okay for us to lose 700 farms in one year. This isn't something that we should accept as normal. And right now, that farm loss is, is among all of the small farm price categories set by the USDA up to about 1,000 cows. When you get above 1,000 cows, farm numbers are actually increasing. So from our perspective, that shouldn't be the only option. Farmers shouldn't have to be uh, forced 
to either expand or get out of the business. There should be room in the dairy industry for everyone. And there's enough profitability in the dairy industry for everyone to do well. And a lot of farmers recognize that. Legislators recognize that. So right now, the challenge before us is to demonstrate enough support um, to, to prove to members of Congress that this is something that's going to work for everyone. Bobby, you keep mentioning consolidation in the dairy industry, and I think that's happening across agriculture as a whole, but especially in dairy when you look at the last five years here and, and been in some bleak times for prices. Can you put in perspective for us? I know you mentioned hundreds of farms, smaller farms shutting down and, and maybe selling cows to larger farms, but what are some of the hard numbers that we've seen really over the last five years as far as consolidation goes in the dairy industry? Um, that is something that I would have to look up and get back to you. I don't have a lot of numbers okay. off the top of my head for, um, for that. But as far as trends go, we're definitely seeing that consolidation of the smaller folks selling out and not so much those thousand plus farms. Right. So what we've seen is that farms above a thousand cows have, uh, doubled over the last, um, 12 to 15 years and farms above 2,000 cows have more, more than tripled. So we are seeing a growth in farm numbers for these very large farm size categories. Um, but the percent change in farms and the number of farms, 1,000 cows or less, has decreased um, year after year. Now, th that kind of leads me right into my next question, which is the, the Dairy Together plan basically has two parts. You've got the long-term solution, the price stabilization plan, where you're looking out into the future. But there's also a component where you're trying to address the crisis that's happening right now. Can you talk to us a little bit about the emergency program that Dairy Together is proposing? Sure. So, um what we're, what we're focusing on, Dairy Together is actually more focused on the long-term strategy. We know that that's what we need to stabilize the industry, and we can't just keep throwing money at a problem or, um, you know, giving government subsidies to farmers, just keep them hanging on a little bit longer. However, we do recognize that this is an immediate crisis and that it's going to take some time to implement the kind of long-term changes that we want to see in the dairy industry so uh, from Wisconsin Farmers Union's perspective, we're just looking into options and really looking to other organizations and to elected officials to offer um, debt refinancing or other options that could help these farmers um, stick around until they can get a fair price from the marketplace. So from Wisconsin Farmers Union, we don't have an official policy that we're putting forward for the short-term solutions. Um, however, we have partnered with National Farmers Organization on this uh, Dairy Together Roadshow, the series of meetings that we're having all around the country to promote these ideas, and they have a proposal for a short-term emergency dairy relief act, and that would involve a direct payment to farmers based on uh, cost of production in their farm size category. It would basically compensate them uh, between the milk price that they're getting and their, their actual cost of production. Bobby, you mentioned the Dairy Together Roadshow, and I want to make sure we get that message out loud and clear to listeners, because I know we've got some folks that are in the dairy dairy space and listen to the podcast here. So you've had quite a few meetings already with this Dairy Together Roadshow, and you've got quite a few more coming up. Um, tell us a little bit about, about what the process is like for those meetings and what folks should expect if they're planning on maybe attending one themselves. Yeah, so... 
Uh, well, first I'll start with what you shouldn't expect, and that is for just one idea to be presented and for that idea to be presented as the only option or the only way forward. We recognize that there are a lot of different plans out there. Um, there are a lot of different ways that we can solve this crisis. So really, we're just trying to send the message that farm organizations and farmers across the country are mobilizing in response to this crisis and looking for long-term solutions. There's not just one right answer. There are a lot of right answers, and we want to show the options that are out there. So we've partnered with National Farmers Organization. They have a proposal for both a short-term emergency relief strategy and this longer-term um, proposal for a tiered pricing system. We think that's great. We're also presenting an option that we've looked into and done an economic analysis on, which is the dairy price stabilization plan. So really, we're just trying to present this uh, suite of options to show that um, the only option that's not on the table is the status quo. What we have now is not working for farmers, and we need to look at making some serious changes. Um, so that's what you'll hear at the roadshow meetings if you attend. We've had uh, five of them around the country, six of them around the country so far. Um, we've been to New York, Vermont, Michigan, and several places in Wisconsin. Next week, we will be in Minnesota in Greenwald um, on April 16th, and then we will be in California, uh, Modesto, California on April 29th, and Clovis, New Mexico on May 2nd. Now, if listeners want to get more information, if they want to get tickets or, or otherwise sign up and be a part of this, where should they go? What's the best resource? DairyTogether.com is our website. It has a full list of meetings, dates, locations, and details. The meetings are all free and open to the public, but we really want to have a strong showing of dairy farmers and folks who are affiliated with the dairy industry and also elected officials at the state level and particularly at the federal level. And that's what we've seen at our meetings so far. Awesome. Well, Bobby, thank you so much for filling us in. We appreciate it. And we, uh, Hope that the Dairy Together movement continues to strengthen the dairy industry. Thank you. I do, too. Well, a big thanks to Bobby for taking the time to uh, talk to us, kind of walk us through. I think we're going to see a lot of proposals coming out here in the, the next year, two years of ways to manage some of the stress that is happening on the farm, in particular on America's dairy farms. Those folks have been struggling for a long time. You know, here's another iron in the fire. Here's another tool that might might be put into use. So stay tuned. We'll see what happens. I know a lot of growers are, uh, they get a little nervous when we start talking about supply management. So I think this is going to be a well-discussed decision by the time anything gets made. Speaking of well-discussed things, ordinarily it is not just me prattling on in the podcast. It is myself and Delaney and occasionally Madison Honkamp, our intern. And if you want to get caught up on past episodes where we have kind of the full team in play, go to our website. Just go to agnewsdaily.com. You can find us right there. It'll take you to our new home at the Global Ag Network. And uh, you can also connect with a lot of other uh, agriculturally focused podcasts right on that site. Uh, we did just unveil user login, so if you've got several podcasts that you're fans of, you can log in and just get a direct subscription to those that you like, and they'll auto-populate for you. It's a pretty pretty sweet deal. I, I don't fully understand it, but our nerds put it together, and they did an awesome job. So if you've got an interest, be sure and check that out. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to let you go. Mm -hmm.